I get that because we live in scary times. And yet, the Bible tells us no less than 366 times God says, fear not. So the question is, how do we obey that when it seems like there's so many things to be fearful about? And I think that the key is learning how to correctly interpret scary events. You know, fear is not caused by circumstances. It's caused by how we interpret those circumstances. So I'll, I'll just give you an example. When I was a little boy in my room at night, sometimes it was all dark and I'd see these shadowy shapes in my room and become convinced that they were, you know, diabolical creatures out to get me. And, and so I'd get scared. I'd turn on the light and see that, you know, the monster in the corner was just an overloaded coat rack, you know, or that the dragon crouching at the bed of, at the foot of my bed was just my backpack slung over a chair and so forth. And so having the lights on ena enabled me to accurately um, identify what all of these shapes in my room were, thus alleviating my fear. And so the question for us is what light switch can we throw on that will help us to rightly you know, interpret the scary, for ominous, you know, events that we see in our lives. And I think you guys know the answer. The answer, of course, is God's word. And so today we are going to look at an event in God's word that, re that reveals uh, several things, truths about God, about Christ, that will help calm our fears. And the event that we're going to look at is very short, because I want to keep this message short today. Um, it shows up in all three synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to base our text today on Mark's gospel, um, which is Mark chapter 4. I notice that my screen is not working, so if you see me turn from time to time, that's why. Uh, but reading Mark chapter 4, and you can be following along on the screen. I'm using the ESV um, Bible today. So Mark 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're going to look again today at three truths about God that calm our fears. And the first is this. God is in control. Now the Sea of Galilee, it's actually a lake. It's located uh, about 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains and because of its unique altitude and you know just topography, <coughs> winds come over the mountains and they swoop down on the lake and 
they will hit that lake from almost straight down at hurricane force winds, which churns up the water and gets waves crashing into each other, makes sailing virtually impossible. Uh, and that's the type of thing that used to happen on that lake frequently. Now, the disciples were mostly fishermen who grew up on the lake, and they sailed those waters all the time. They were out there fishing all the time. They knew how to navigate around or through even the worst storms. But this storm was different. And despite their best efforts, they found that their boat was starting to founder. It was starting to sink. And in Luke's account of this passage, he says that they faced, quote, real danger. That is, they were justifiably terrified because their boat was sinking. Now, like in my congregation, most of the people uh, in our church uh, uh, barely survived the campfire. Most of them had to drive through flames and had near-death experiences to survive. And maybe some of you guys have had that in your life. Maybe you've had a near-death experience, a close call. And if you have, you know that when that happens, you know, your heart starts to race and, and your mind is going all over the place and adrenaline is pumping through your system so much that your, your muscles are quivering. And they actually have a term for it that's called acute stress response. And I believe it's one step before you have a full-blown panic attack. And my thought is that these disciples were right at that place. They were right on the verge of hysteria. They were completely terrified because they saw that their boat was being engulfed in water. And when their terror reached its peak, they looked over at Jesus and they saw him sleeping. Uh, now, I'm sure he was soaked to the bone and he was probably being tossed back and forth, but he was out like a light. And Luke says they began to to cry out to him over this howling wind saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. And according to Mark, what we just read, they said, don't you care that we are going to drown? And our Lord opened his eyes and he looked at the disciples and he looked at the heaving seas and, and the wind and he sat up and he said, quiet, be still. And suddenly, and that Greek word means instantaneously, there was this preternatural calm. The howling winds came to an instant stop. The seas, which had been heaving probably 20, 30 foot, you know, waves became like glass. Now, of course, this is impossible because even if you turned off the winds immediately, it would take a long time before the seas that were churning like this became like glass. But no, everything stopped immediately when he said that. And again, this is impossible, but Jesus did it. He altered the laws of nature. Now, what kind of a man can do that? That's what the disciples were asking. Like, oh, what kind of a person could do that? What kind of a man could do that? Well, only one kind of man, the God-man. <laughs> You know, the incarnate God, the second person of the Trinity. Only God can do to the wind and the waves what Jesus did right here. And in fact, in the Old Testament, I think there's at least 10 or 12 places in the Old Testament that point to God doing this kind of a thing. I'll just read one of them uh, for you. In Psalm 107, picking up here in verse 23, the psalmist writes, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. 
And they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, or meaning in the sea. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This psalm basically describes exactly what Jesus did in our text. I like this uh, passage from Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And it goes on in verse 19 to say, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus Christ is God. He's the creator. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything. And just as he was in control of that storm out on the Sea of Galilee, he is in control of whatever fears or worries that you have today. He is in complete control over all of it. You know, God, when he was talking to Abraham's wife, Sarah, notifying her, he said, in a year from now, I'm going to come back, you're going to be pregnant. And she started laughing because she was saying, uh, you know, thinking to herself, oh, come on, I'm 90 years old. And uh, God's response to her was, God said, quote, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And that was a rhetorical question. And of course, the answer is no. God is in control of everything. God can do anything. And we need to remember that and apply that to all the different troubling things in our life. And I don't know if you have 14, but they say the average American has 14. I think I probably have at least that many. And you go through and say, God is in control of that. God is in control of that. God's got this. God's got that. It's important. That ministers to us. I was reading about this guy that was going into, he was a Christian man. And he was going into surgery, major surgery. And the morning of the surgery, it was early morning. They often do them like at four or five in the morning. He woke up and he was really scared. He was really scared. He knew they were going to come for him soon and take him to the operating room. And he began to pray to God, to cry out. And he was saying, God, I am scared. I'm really nervous about this. I don't think this is going to go very well. I'm worried. I think maybe I might not survive. I think maybe I might die. God, help. And he said, the Lord spoke to him very clearly. And God said simply this, who's in charge? And he said, when I heard those words, he said, peace swept over me because I realized that God was with me, that God understood what I was going through, that God cared, and most importantly, that God was in control. And I think those are, those are things that we need to apply a lot when we're encountering situations like that. Is remember, God is with us. God cares. He understands what we're going through. He cares about us. And most importantly, he is in control of all of it. So I think that in itself brings us a great deal of calm when we're dealing with fears. Number two, God is mysterious. Now, how does that truth calm our fears? 
Well, when you live in a secular, post-Christian, rationalistic society like the one that we live in, and that we are taught that everything we believe in must have a scientific, empirically proven explanation, or that it's nonsense, our temptation is to want to explain everything God does. But sometimes we cannot do that. We can't explain what God does, which leaves us feeling confused uh, and full of doubt and oftentimes full of fear. But sometimes God's work in our lives is inexplicable. Paul said in Romans 11.33, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And I looked up the word inscrutable, thought I knew, and, and I, but I just wanted to be, uh, you know, sure and it means literally, quote, impossible to understand, mysterious. So Paul is saying, you know, a lot of God's ways are impossible to understand. And that means we need to accept the fact that just because God is in control of everything doesn't mean he is going to explain everything to us. A lot of it is going to be mysterious. That's why God didn't explain to Job, you know, when Job was experiencing all those calamities in his life, God didn't explain it all to him. The book of Job says that in the end, God appeared in a whirlwind, and then God said to Job, basically in so many words, I know what I'm doing. Uh, even if I explained it to you, you wouldn't understand. You need to just trust me. And Job said, you're right. I'm wrong. I do trust you. Uh, praise God. And you know, that's what we have to do. We have to trust God in the mystery and there were a lot of mysterious things going on in our passage that we read here in Mark. Um, for example, the suddenness and the enormity of the storm. I mean, that was incomprehensible. Or consider the fact that this monstrous storm swooped down on them as they were obeying what Jesus told them to do. You know, he said, let's sail to the other side. And that's exactly what they were doing. It, it would have been easier to explain if they were rebelling against God like Jonah or something and saying, no, we're going to head off in the other direction. And then, you know, calamity comes. Say, well, you know, I deserved it. You know, I'm in rebellion. But no, no. They were doing exactly God's will. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you are following God. You're doing exactly what, what God wants you to do. You're, you're trying to stay in step with him. And you're trying to glorify him and obey him, and yet still trials and tests are coming into your life, and you're wondering, Lord, what gives? I mean, do you, what, what am I doing wrong, and why, why is this happening? Do you realize? Do you see what's happening? Are you asleep at the wheel? Do you care? Because I think that's what the disciples were thinking at that point. We're doing what he said, and, and he's, he's asleep over there. And then our text, in fact, all three versions... Note that Jesus woke up and he, quote, rebuked the storm. And that word rebuked was only used when Jesus was casting out demons, which prompts uh, a lot of scholars to believe that this storm was whipped up by the devil. And we really don't know. It doesn't say. But it's curious. It's mysterious. And even the incredible way that Jesus stilled the storm, you know, it was, it was sort of like a you know, a, a, a sci-fi superhero movie or whatever, you know, he just sort of changes the dimension, the time, you know, one minute it's all stormy, the next minute, you know, everything is absolutely flat and, and calm. Um, and the fact that Jesus slept through the hurricane, then just woke up and said, stop it, and the storm died down instantly, I think the disciples were probably thinking, 
Now, we've been traveling with Jesus for several years now, and we know that he is a man who gets hungry and thirsty. He bleeds when he is cut. He gets tired just like us, but who tells nature what to do, and it obeys him. What kind of a man is this? God brings a lot of mystery into life. I mean, study the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus sometime, from the time that it was announced that she was going to be pregnant until the crucifixion of her son Jesus, there was a lot of mystery. And, a lot, and there's a number of places in Scripture where it says, and Mary just pondered these things. <coughs> I'll give you one example. When Jesus was 12 years old, they took him to the Passover, and they had a Passover feast, and they were heading back in their caravan, you know, back to Nazareth. And when they were several days out, they realized, we lost Jesus. You know, we lost God. Uh, what do we do with him? And so they, it says that they hunted for him. Joseph and Mary went back to Jerusalem to try to find their son, and they hunted for him for three days before they finally found him in the temple, and he was sitting with the rabbis. And Luke 2, 48 through 50 says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You know, seriously? Wow, that's pretty intense. Did, did God know w what Mary was, was going through? He did. Um, did he reveal to her at that point what he was doing? No. No, he didn't. You know, maybe at some other time she figured it out. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But God doesn't always inform us what he is doing, you know, when we're experiencing these storms. So instead of trying to figure out exactly why God is doing something in our lives, sometimes we need to learn to simply trust him. You know, explainable situations call for reason, but mysterious situations call for faith. And that's why God sends a lot of mysterious situations into our lives is he's not trying to build up our reason. He's trying to build up our faith. Here's a good verse when you're struggling with something God is allowing doesn't make sense to you. Uh, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said in John 13, 7, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. In other words, I know you guys don't understand this. Um, and someday, not today, but someday you will. I know you don't understand it, and it's okay that you don't understand it. And I'm not going to tell you now. You need to be in a place where you're going just on faith right now. And sometimes that's what, I mean, that applies to a lot of, I mean, think of this first for a lot of situations in your life where Jesus would say to you, I know you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. Maybe someday in this life, someday in eternity. But it's okay that you don't understand right now. You don't need to understand right now. When uh, Corey Tenboom was a girl, she was waiting for a train with her father, and she asked him a very delicate question about human sexuality, uh, and he said that he'd tell her about it when she was older, and she asked why that she had to, why do I have to wait? And he said, can you carry my suitcase? And she said, no, it's, it's too heavy for me. And he said, so is your question. And 
He said, uh, let me carry that question for a while, and someday when you're ready, I'll explain it to you. And that's the approach we need to take with a lot of the mysterious, troubling afflictions and trials and scary things that we see in life, is we need to trust God with childlike faith. I believe God is trying to develop that in our life. Not say, why is all this happening, God? But just to trust him, because that's God's will for us. And number three, God has a plan. And in verse 40, Jesus said, why are you afraid? You still have no faith? And in Matthew's version, he notes that Jesus didn't only say no faith, but also you have little faith. Uh, the word little means deficient or underdeveloped faith. And then Luke has Jesus saying, where, as in, where is your faith? As in, what did you do with your faith? Where did you put your faith? And I strongly suspect that Jesus used all three of those words when he was having a little chat with the disciples after he had calmed the storm. You know, a lot of times in the Bible and the different, you know, uh, versions of the Gospels, each guy will focus on maybe one thing Jesus said, but that doesn't mean he just spoke in one sentence. Sometimes he would share and different guys would pull out different things. I think he said all of those, but uh, what he was trying to get across was not that the disciples had zero faith, but that their faith wasn't where it needed to be because they really didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't fully get it. I mean, think about it. At this point, they had been with Jesus, as I mentioned before, several years. They had seen all kinds of healings, probably thousands of healings. They'd seen deliverances. They'd seen scores of miracles. Uh, they had experienced a tailor-made miracle for fishermen, commercial fishermen, who fished that lake. Remember when Jesus um, filled their nets to the breaking point with fish in the middle of the day, which never happened, um, out in the deep water, which never happened, so much so that as they were loading the fish onto their boats, their boats began to sink. It was an incredible miracle, so much it left them in complete awe of him, and the text says they left everything and followed him. They knew only God could do what Jesus had just done. They were fishermen. This was right, you know, up their alley, and they understood that this wasn't a miracle and this must be God, and, and they left everything to follow him. And Jesus now was basically saying, where is that faith? I remember when you guys had faith, when you were following me and you trusted in me, and like, what happened to that? Now, we all know that scary events can capsize our faith, and still, God allows <sighs> challenging things into our lives to try to transform our faith, you know, from fair weather faith into category five faith. And uh, our faith will grow in the storms if we remember who Jesus is and what he has done, both in Scripture and in our lives. You know, stop sometime and think about the ways that God has been faithful to you, the prayers that he has answered, the fact that you're still here in this, in this world. You could have maybe died many times and so on and so forth. If we actually think about the things that Jesus has done, that bolsters our faith. And, you know, even in our little text here, there are numerous things we need to remember about God um, in this passage. So, like, for example, we need to remember that we can trust God's word. After all, he didn't say to the disciples, let's sail out into the middle of the lake and capsize and drown. He's, he said, let's sail to the other side. So, um, you know, we need to remember that God's word 
it never lies. It's always accurate. It's always reliable. Also, another thing here is we need to remember that Jesus was in the boat with them throughout the storm. He could have stepped off and walked off over the, the waves on his own. You know, he didn't have to stay with them. He stayed with them throughout the entire storm. He's with us all the time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We need to remember that he cares about us. You know, the, the howling winds and the crashing waves did not wake him. But when the disciples cried out to him, he woke up just like that. And it's the same with us. When we cry out to God, he's totally attentive. We need to remember that our Lord can bring order out of chaos and peace to the most agitated spirits. And I think most importantly, we need to remember his grace for he rescued the disciples even though their faith was nowhere to be found. You know, God is gracious. You know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, my faith has to be at such a level or God is not going to listen to me or he's going to be disappointed in me or something like that. No, God is gracious. We cry out to him, even if we have just a mustard seed of faith, even if we just have the faith to utter the words, God help, God listens, God cares, he's a gracious God. And when, we're, when we are in a storm, we need to remember what God is like. We need to remember what our Lord is like. One day, uh, the devotional writer, Andrew Murray, oh, we've got the back screen started up, uh, he got some troubling news. And his biographer didn't go into the details as to what it was, but it was something scary he found out about. And it said that he excused himself from the people that were there. He went into his study, and he sat down at his desk, and he sat there for a very long time thinking and praying. And then he picked up his pen, and he wrote the following words. God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place. He will keep me here in his love and give me the grace to behave as his child. He will make this trial a blessing, teaching me lessons I need to learn. In his time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. In short, I am here by God's appointment, in God's keeping, under his training for his time. And in God's time, that storm passed and Andrew Murray went on to write other great devotional books. He learned what we're learning today through this passage. So all of us face storms. Two takeaways from this um, teaching, two survival skills. Number one, remember who Jesus is. He's the sovereign God of the universe. Um, you know, he's purposeful, mysterious, he's in control. And number two, do what the disciples did and bring your fears to him. Sometimes... You know, when we're out in the storm and the waves are crashing and it seems like our ship is sinking, that is the only thing we really can do. But God, in his grace, he hears us, he ministers to us, he reveals new things to us about him, and he grows our faith. And that is God's plan. His end goal is that we become like Jesus, resting in God's care, even in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your incredible grace. And Lord, you know that we are prone to fear. And you know, Lord God, that how often we get caught up in worry and anxiety. And we thank you, Lord, that your word illumines us to the truth that you are in control of everything that threatens and that you 
allow trials and troubles into our lives to build our trust in you. Lord, help us to remember your sovereignty, your presence, your care, your faithfulness, and your commitment to transform us into disciples who rest in your care even in the midst of life's storms. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.